Hey there, family. Welcome back to another episode of Create with Kendra, a place where you can be inspired, challenged, and changed. Welcome back to another Wednesday. Welcome back to another episode. I am so glad that you had the opportunity to press play, to tune in, and that we are here together. The last time that you heard from me, um, I was um, making a couple of announcements up until the leading of our Poetry Jam number seven. Now that I'm here, Poetry Jam number seven has come and has passed. And let me tell y'all, this was one for the books. So for those that came out to support, for those that supported us financially, for those that just came to volunteer from many parts, I mean, folks from all over the country came. We had representatives from from Hotlanta, Georgia. We had some folks from Miami. We had folks from Texas. We had even had some of our Canadian brothers and sisters in the building on that night. And let me tell you, when we all get together, it is nothing short of amazing. It is nothing short of what is beautiful that God is doing through his kingdom and in us. So um, I just want to plug this in. If you are led to donate to Unassociated, um, head on over to www.undashassociated.com slash donate for more details on that. All right. Now, it is the last week of Black History Month. I feel you. There's a little sadness right here, but don't be sad. Black History Month is not a container to where we are only allotted to celebrate our history within 28, 29 days of the month. But what it is, is that we are able to celebrate us year around folks year around saints and so i just want to encourage you to celebrate blackness celebrate what it is um and how beautiful god made us to be amen now so i promise you as promised i will give you our final black history fact for the month of february did you know that enslaved Africans used the styles of hair braiding as a map to escape slavery? The different zigzags and crosses and patterns that was used in hair were actually um, pictured after a map which led them to the north. In addition to that, Enslaved folks used quilting as a mechanism of communication. For instance, if there was a quilt with a red dot in the middle, that identified the enslaved folks that that is a safe house. If there was a bow tie quilted into the quilt, that um, was an example of or that meant that you are to change your clothes, rest, and move towards the north because becoming a free man or woman was the next step. So I take my hat off to, I salute all of the courageous men and women that dared to escape enslavement. I celebrate them for their resistance. I celebrate them 
for their courage. I celebrate them for what they've done for us and the African-American community. So that is our final Black History Moments of the Month. Now, we are going to hop into a conversation that is way overdue, y'all. You've seen the title. And this week, we're going to talk about how Christianity is not the white man's religion. Let's get into it. Now, what I want to say, during our time together, I want to unpack many questions that people have regarding blackness and Christianity and how can they exist simultaneously. But before we get into these questions, I want to affirm my brothers and sisters that are listening to this right now. I want to tell you that you don't have to choose between being black and being Christian. I want to tell you that they both indeed can exist at the same time in the same space. I want to acknowledge that God made black folks on purpose for purpose. I want to acknowledge uh, the fact that we see you, that we hear you, And that we don't take light of your experiences. And that we don't take light the experiences of our ancestors. In this space, I will never tell you that I don't see color. Because to say I don't see color is denying your blackness. It's denying what it means to be a black man in this world. What it means to be a black woman in this world. And more specifically, what it means to be black in this country. And so I want to say that I see your blackness. I celebrate your blackness. Amen. All right, y'all, let's move into it. So I have a couple of questions, a couple of um, things that I want to talk about. I want to talk about one, why is black history important? The second question I want to talk about is where do we find Christianity in Africa. And third, I want to talk about Christianity within the black American context during um, slavery. Okay. Today going to be a heavy one. So if you're able to have a seat, go on and have a seat. Okay. If you need to breathe through this, I encourage you to pause it. If you like Kendra, this is a little team too much and I need to breathe through it. I encourage you to do that as well. Amen. All right, y'all. Let's jump into question number one. Why is black history important? Black history important is important um, for first because if we don't tell the truth about what happened, History will repeat itself. I'm going to say that again. If we don't tell the truth about what really happened, then history will repeat itself. Now, in the way that I want to talk about why 
black history is important, we should always teach and learn about blackness through an Afro-sensitive framework. And what I mean by an Afro-sensitive framework, it is moving through the history, moving through the stories, moving through these accounts with love, with love for blackness and love for our community. It becomes dangerous when we don't use the proper framework in telling black stories and telling black history. We run the risk of getting it wrong. We run the risk of of leaving out details that make up the experience. Okay? We run the risk of repeating ventriloquized histories. And what I mean by ventriloquized history, we look at the word and we understand that that means there is a ventriloquist involved. Someone that uses someone else's body or experience, but it's the one that's doing the talking. And what happens is in a lot of black history, the truth has been hidden. The truth has gone untold. But like I tell my students in the class, and in the spaces of learning, we're here to tell the truth. And that's what we're going to do. Because too often, the narrative of enslaved men and women, even black folks outside of the context of enslavement, has been twisted, has been perverted, has been abused. And so it isn't a fact of let's have these white scholars tell our stories. The easiest thing to do is just pass the mic. Amen. Now, I want to acknowledge that Christianity in this country has been weaponized against black people in an antagonistic way. Christianity has been taken, perverted, twisted, and manipulated in a way to oppress black folks in this country. I would be remiss if I ignored that. But I also want to acknowledge the fact that what I said was that it was twisted, that it was manipulated, that it was perverted. Meaning, there is a pure, unadulterated experience of Christianity within the black experience. And so we're going to unpack what that looked like, as well as the manipulated version of what America has given black folks in this country. Y'all ready to roll? Let's do it. Question number two. Where do we find Christianity in Africa? We can go back as early as 60 AD and we find Christianity in Northern Africa, 
in ancient Egypt, which was called Kemet before, also in Ethiopia. But Ethiopia is where one of the oldest Bibles is found. Okay. Roman scholars, let me tell y'all this. When we talk about, I think I mentioned it a few weeks ago, how black folks were literary leaders in the world, not just on the continent, not just in their respective countries, but in the world. Did you know that Roman scholars actually fixated their their studies on Ethiopian scholars and the way that they operated in their Christian faith. Ethiopian scholars and 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 how they moved through Christianity was the blueprint for the Romans. We see that they are studying the Ethiopian Bible as well as gaining understanding of their language as well. We can even take it, you may say, okay, Kendra, that's North Africa. But let me tell you this. In the 1300s, Christianity could be found in West Africa. Moving on to the 1400s in Congo, where one of the first churches, Christian churches, was founded in the Congo. There were different institutions that were teaching both men and women literary skills, how to read the Bible. And this is before Christopher Columbus. This is before the transatlantic slave trade. But what they don't teach you is that Christianity was alive and well before colonization. What they'll say is the white man brought it over and taught black folks what true religion was. But Christianity was in Africa hundreds of years before the transatlantic slave trade. So that meant Christianity The gospel of Jesus Christ was being spread to Africans by Africans. Hello, somebody. So when we talk about the transatlantic slave trade, and which we'll get to in a moment, we have to understand that in Africa, there are many religions. I can't even count them all. But amongst all of those religions, the gospel of Jesus Christ was being preached. Amen. Now we get to the transatlantic slave trade that was happening between the 15th and 16th century. And I, in my studies, have found that there are different, different modalities of slavery. I wish I had time to break it down, but I'll say this. The transatlantic slave trade was one of the greatest terrors that this world has seen. For hundreds of years, people were sold as property, were abused, were dehumanized, and 
in the year of 2024, we still are living the residue of this disaster. In fact, the journey from the coast of West Africa to the Americas in the Caribbean is called the Mafa. And the Mafa in translation means the great disaster. And that is what in fact it was a great disaster. And in the movement of selling people as cargo, as property, Christians, African Christians were also sold. Now, when it comes to our ancestors, if you are black and you are American, if you are black American and listening to this podcast, I want to tell you that you are a living miracle. The fact that you are here it was is a result of your ancestors surviving the middle passage. And that is a testament that God had a plan even after and even in the midst of man's disaster. People may say, if God loved us so much, why did he allow slavery to happen? It's a good question. And I don't demean anyone that asks that question. And I want to take a minute and pause right here before we go any further. And I want to give you an analogy. If you are in your home right now, I'm in my home right now. And I understand that there was somebody behind this building being built. There was a builder. I've never seen the builder. I've never met the builder before. But I know the evidence that there was a builder here because I am in the home. Now, if the builder builds my home and there are some vandals that come to my home and bust up my windows and break down my door and, and, and tear up my house and steal my, my, my possessions. Do I blame the builder Or do I blame the vandals? I say that to say this. God creating us on purpose is for his glory. But because sin entered the world, man, us humans, contaminated it. We were the vandals. So we cannot blame God our creator who made us beautifully in his image when it was the doing of the vandals. It was the doing of white supremacy. It was the doing of hatred and a man's heart to look at another man that looks different than him and say that you are not a man, that you are not human, that you are not valuable. That wasn't God's doing. That is the effect of, of sin in this world. And I know that's something hard to grapple with, but we cannot blame God 
for the mistake of men. It didn't please him that the transatlantic slave trade and that slavery and that and that oppression and that murder happened. It did not please him. But in God's goodness, he is able to preserve us. And in his goodness, he's able to bring glory out of it. Let's continue. In my class, I go through the transatlantic slave trade and I give details because details make the experience. We consider North Africa or um, countries that are further out to um, the coast of West Africa. They were brought. They were beaten. Folks from from Mali, from, from the Congo, were brought to West Africa by foot. If we do the math, that's approximately 725 miles on foot that they were beaten, that they were abused, that they were starved, and that they were put in dungeons. You can be in a dungeon for three months at a time. A room 30 by 16, and they stuffed 200 people in there. Where you stood is where you used the bathroom, is where you ate, is where you slept. And I could tell you, we weren't a docile people. There was always a rebellion. But the oppression, the systemic oppression, the dehumanizing tactics and behaviors always had a comeback for our rebellion. So on the journey to the west, to the coast of West Africa, if there were those that were rebelling, they would beat men and women bloody and tie them to trees so wildlife can finish them off. If there were folks rebelling at the coast, they would put them and lock them in, in isolated dungeons so they could starve to death. On the boat, you're chained to somebody that probably doesn't even speak the same language as you do. You're laying where you defecate, where you use the bathroom, where you eat. And the person that you're chained to is probably dead. This is the middle passage. This is the process into what our people went through. And so let's fast forward to bringing Christianity to the mainland. There's something that I want to say is that we do acknowledge the fact that there were Christians in that slave trade. And millions died during that process. And I'll say it again. The fact that I'm here as a descendant of an African that survived that process tells me that God has a plan for me, that God has a plan for you. There are some Africans, like I said, there were some that were Christian and there were some that were not. For the Africans that came here, 
that did not know Jesus, I could say that we as a people adopted and adapted to Christianity. From the disaster of black folks, we learned to lean on Jesus. We learned to lean on Jesus. And there was a, an eschatological gaze that we had as a people while on the plantation. There was a, a knowing that this life, this ain't it. That there's more to this. There's a longing for heaven because for many, this was hell on earth. But we knew that there was a God that loved us. We knew that there was a God that cared about us. And that once we left this earth, that we would be with him in glory. Hallelujah. Now I want to get into the manipulated and the perverted, um, version of Christianity. So what happens is <clears throat> these folks and 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 I'll say this side note <laughs> for those people that lied on the gospel of Jesus for those people that took his word and changed it to oppress Africans will have to answer to God in judgment. God is a God of justice. And is not letting none of that slide. Though we may feel like we want to see justice on earth. Earth will pass. And and eternity is waiting. So those that abuse God's word will have to answer to him in judgment. Now let's get into it. I want to identify some historical documents. When we, when we understand slave codes, slave codes were codes that were set in place as the law that prevented black folks from excelling and growing socially. One of the slave codes in North Carolina read to teach a slave to read or write, to sell or to give him any book. Bible not accepted. Could be punished. 39 lashes or imprisoned and for white folks that would help um, black folks get a hold of a Bible or teach them how to read, they would be fined $200. Now $200 back in 1600s was a grip. Understand that it was illegal for black folks to learn how to read and write. Why? Because if we gained access to the Bible, it was a wrap. It was a wrap. Slaveholders removed scriptures of liberation, freedom, and radical activism. They removed it. So the book of Exodus, they literally tore it out the Bible. That's what they did. Any scriptures, scriptures about, about um, liberation or freedom. If it said freedom, they said, nope, we crossing that out. We taking it out. Can't happen. Why? Because if they knew that if we could access literature from the God of the Bible that says we can be free, the God that is a liberator, it was done for. It was done for. 
Now I want to move on because as I mentioned earlier in this episode, we were always rebelling. Rebelling against white supremacy, rebelling against slavery, rebelling against oppression. And so it was common that black folks learn how to read. And what I love about us is that when I learn how to do something, I'm going to put you on. And that's what they did. If someone learned how to read, they would teach other enslaved folks how to read as well. And so we we are seeing now uh, enslaved Africans are exegeting the text critically, explaining and interpreting the Bible in a way that they have not done before. They're getting into the book of Exodus where they see chattel slavery happening and that their God was a God that liberated people. Come on now. That empowered them to move towards freedom. That were that empowered them to get through the network of the Underground Railroad. That empowered them to not settle for being a field hand or a domestic worker. That empowered them because the God that that liberated the folks in Egypt could do the same thing for them. When they read the Bible, they read about the promised land. When they read the Bible, they read about Jesus being a radical. Jesus, I don't, I don't see nowhere in the Bible where Jesus was trying to, to be the nice guy, trying to be the docile guy, though he humbled himself. And I thank the Lord for humbling himself because Jesus coming to a world to save us dying on a cross for sin he didn't owe, being beaten, being misunderstood. We can relate to him. When these enslaved folks read the Bible and seen Jesus, a radical man, the son of God, that stood against hypocritical government, that exercised civil disobedience, that was a table flipper, Jesus, when they understood that he was persecuted and even that they hung him from a tree, they could relate. They could relate. I have to take a minute because even though I talk about this all the time, it still kind of gets to me. It's still a burden that I'm carrying many generations down the line. I want to encourage someone to really look at it from a spiritual lens, a Christ-centered framework. God wasn't pleased with what happened. Nor is he pleased that there is a a narrative that Christianity is the white man's religion. Jesus died for us all. 
and Jesus sees our color. Jesus loves us all. But in this moment, I want to say that the devil uses systemic oppression. That's his tactic. So he doesn't have to do a lot of the work. If he can affect the system, then the work is being done for him. When we see white supremacy, when we see systematic oppression, it's not just a natural thing, but it's a spiritual thing as well. Christianity has always been a part of our history. And I don't want you to continue this life thinking that this is a white man's religion. I heard a scholar say say uh, once that black folks, you can find it in the Bible. But if you really want to go on a hunt, try to find some white folks in the Bible. <laughs> but I want this episode to be, and I want to put this out because there's so many black folks that are questioning why be a Christian when this happens to my people. Why not be a part of these other religions? Because the other religions were our religions first. But I want to tell you, it's simply not true. Why should you be Christian? Because Jesus is the only God that loves you, that came and died for you, that has his arms open wide no matter what you do. Jesus is forgiving, he's loving, he's just, he's righteous. And as dirty and filthy as we are, he still wants us. So no, Christianity is not the white man's religion. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, we love you, we honor you, we adore you, God. We thank you for this time to share. We thank you for this time of learning. God, I pray that this episode is a blessing to somebody, that they will try you again. The enemy has planted in their mind that Christ is not for them because of the systemic oppression that they see in the world. God, I pray that you soften the hearts of your sons and daughters. Cause them to become curious about who you are. God, I pray that you continue to heal our generation oppression and scars and trauma from what has happened hundreds of years ago that is still prevalent today. Teach us, God. Heal us, God. Love us and show us your way. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for being glorious and at the end of the day, being victorious. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, y'all, I hope this was helpful to somebody. Um, It was helpful for me to just reiterate. So y'all, share this with somebody, like it, do all the things. And until next time, beautiful people, be blessed.